Now please turn your Bibles uh, to the Psalm 53. Uh, the Psalm 53, please. The Psalm 53, we're going to read this portion of Scripture together. The Psalm 53. To the chief musician, upon Mahalath, the masculine Psalm of David. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Corrupt are they, and have done abominable iniquity. There is none that doeth good. God God looked down from heaven upon the children of men, to see if there were any that understand that did seek God. Every one of them is gone back. They are altogether become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Have the workers of iniquity no knowledge, who eat up my people as they eat bread, they have not called upon God. There were they in great fear, where no fear was, for God hath scattered the bones of him that encampeth against thee. Thou hast put them to shame, because God hath despised them. Oh, that the salvation of Israel were come out of Zion. When God bringeth back the captivity of his people, Jacob shall rejoice, and Israel shall be glad. Amen. May God encourage our hearts again in his word. Uh, tonight, today, this is the very word of the Lord. Again, we have over the last uh, number of weeks in this uh, uh, part of our Sabbath day, and we've been considering the subject of atheism. Of course, looking at it in terms of the existence of God and the evidence for God's existence. But I want to draw this section to a close by consideration of what we might term practical atheism. What does atheism look like in practice? Again, we've acknowledged that in one sense, no man is really an atheist. They all have a knowledge of God. In Romans chapter 1, again, they hold, they suppress, they, they push down the truth that they know in their unrighteousness. And yet, as we saw, Psalm 14, and here the parallel in Psalm 35, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And that language is used by Paul in Romans chapter 3 to describe the experience of all humanity. And so that's where you get this idea of practical atheism. That even those who may verbally and mentally acknowledge that there is a God, they live in such a way as if there was no God. And so you can then trace that back. What, what, does pe- what do people's lives look like? And how does that in turn uh, go back into uh, the matter of, of atheism? So that's our desire today. Let's try to see, well, what is the effect of atheism? What's the result of atheism? If I can ask you a question, if there is no God, then dot, dot, dot. Okay, so if there is no God in man's thinking, then what are the results of such a statement? The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now again, I've, I've been away all week, so I'm going to give you all the work to do today, okay? I have done preparation. I shouldn't have done no preparation. I have prepared this message. Uh, but I want you to do some of the work, at least to begin with. Uh, you can be diligent in reading this portion together. We're going to restrict ourselves to the Psalm 53. Okay, so I want to keep your answers uh, from the Psalm 53, at least for now. Uh, and I want you to think to yourself, well, what are the consequences if people say there is no God? What are the effects? What are the results? Okay, so fire away. Who wants to go first? Yeah, I'll take Paul. Okay, so you're, where you're getting that. Just, if you can give me a, a reference as well, and then I can pull it all together. So there's an absence of justice, an absence of of good, put it that way maybe. Okay, so let's try to put, so no 
No justice. Okay. John? I was just going to say chaos. Okay. Okay, I'm, I'm going to take all these down, and then we'll, we'll, I'm, I'm going to try to put it into an organized fashion. So you, you give me the chaos for now, of your chaotic answers, and then I'll try to organize that in our, in our thoughts. So yeah, it's a chaos there, that's true. Yeah, anybody else? There's lots here, lots and lots. Yeah, Steve? No understanding. Okay, so there's, a, 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 there's, a, there's no knowledge, no understanding. Yeah, anybody else? Keep them coming, yeah. Corruption's there, yeah, it's there. Corrupt are they? Now, that corruption, again, we think of corruption sometimes like financial corruption, or we think of corruption in government. Uh, again, the term that's being used there includes that, uh, but certainly broader than that, it has the idea of, of living a life devoid of God in terms of morality. Yeah, but that's helpful, yeah. Keep them coming. Yeah, Ken. Okay, yes, yeah, so there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a reference here to the eat up my people. So if I could put hatred in there maybe for that term. I'm going to summarize these more in a minute or two, but anything else? There's more, yeah. No prayer. No prayer, yeah, that's there. They won't call upon God. Verse number, what's that? Verse four, they have not called upon God. And then verse number two, they do not seek God. Okay, so no prayer. You're getting the idea. Anybody else want to keep, yeah, then? There's fear there. That, that's an interesting one, isn't it? Verse number five, uh, where there is no fear, they, they experience fear. Okay, yeah. They see the judgment of God. Yeah. There's no good, yeah. You're getting the idea. This, this, they're all here. This, this, is, this is a really, really helpful psalm in terms of trying to just get an insight into what atheism looks like. And again, please understand, we're, we're going to discuss things that are true in general terms. Okay, so they're true that they reflect the generality of society, but they're, they're also true in the individual as well. And so you see these things worked out in the individual, uh, although, again, within individuals, there's such a thing as common grace. And so God, in his common grace, restrains sin, even those who do not name his name. We are experiencing that in our own nation today to some degree still. It's been true over the years, uh, but there's that restraining of God's common grace, even those who do not know the Lord. Yeah, Dan? Okay, so there's, going to be, there's certainly going to be governmental issues there. Oppression is there. We're going to, we'll, we'll come back to that one, certainly. Yeah. Yeah. No shame. Yeah, there's, there's brashness and boldness. There's a lack of shame when it comes to the will, the will of God. Yeah. That might do us. Yeah, yeah keep going. Filthy, okay, so we're going, to, we're going to see that as a, again, it's a parallel term there. Verse number three, they become filthy. There is none that doeth good. So that's there as well. It's corruption. Put the filth beside that. Yeah. All right. So let me give this to you in, 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 in an organized fashion, and then we can go forward from there. So let's put that aside for now. There are three primary effects. If I can organize it into three groups, three primary effects of atheism. There is issues with regards to morality. Okay. So that's your corruption. That's your issues in terms of filth, and there's abominable iniquity there, verse number one. There's all of that. So verse one, corrupt are they. They've done abominable iniquity. There's none that doeth good. Verse number three, every one of them has gone back. 
They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Again, they, they're going back, and the scripture is, of course, going back from the Lord's will. You go forward in God's will, you go backwards away from God's will. These are terms of morality. Verse number uh, five again. And there is, they, have, they, are, they were in great fear, where no fear was, for God has scattered the bones of him that encampeth against thee. That's put into shame because God hath despised them. Okay, so well, who does God despise? And again, the workers of iniquity. Okay, so you see in this issue of morality involved in that. There's also consequence in the area of spirituality. Now, I'm using that term very broadly. I'm not suggesting that those who are atheists are not spiritual beings and have no interest in things of a spiritual realm. That's not my point. I'm talking about spirituality in the true sense of true religion. Okay, so I'm trying to get ITY endings, okay? That's the, the idea that you can memorize these things. Uh, there are three ITY endings, and so spirituality is one way uh, to describe this particular problem of atheism. The third one, again, in some ways comes underneath those things. These are overlapping issues, of course. They always are. But you have the issue of enmity. There's a hatred within the atheist, and we'll, again, define that more in a few moments or two. Okay, so first of all, let's, let's think about morality. Again, the morality, I've mentioned the verses there, verse 1 and verse 3, verse 4. Uh, again, you have the various terms that are used. They're workers of iniquity. They do abominable iniquity. There's a moral, a moral issue here. And of course, we see that Romans chapter 1. Those who know there is a God, they suppress that knowledge in unrighteousness. And then that goes on in terms of the sins of this world. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God, and there are moral consequences to that. Now, I don't know if you've ever spoken to an atheist. I'm sure you have at some point in your life. But one of the ways you may discuss things with an atheist is say, you may say to him, you know, if there is no God, there is no such thing as absolute moral right or wrong. You lose the sense of moral objectivity. Now, when I've said that to atheists in the past, I have generally been met with a tremendously angry response. That's how they respond. They say, well, how dare you say that of me? I'm a very moral person. I'm not devoid of morality. You know, and you say, I don't believe in God, but I'm still an upright person. So, what would I say next? When you read my mind, <laughs> but what would you say next in terms of that, yeah, Lars? Okay, so you, so you ask them, well, where did morality come from? And uh, does anyone know how they answer that? There, there are several answers I'll give to that. Yeah, that. Okay, so but you, you still you've got to go, you've got to answer their question. So they they've said I'm moral, and Lars very helpfully say, well. Where does that morality come from? And they, I want to get, they've, they've answered that first. Christina, and that comes to Ken. Okay, so you're going to, you're going to, what reason? So what, what is your base of morality? Okay, yep, so what's, you go back a stage further, so it's, well, I'm moral. What's the basis for that morality? What, what might they say? Ken? Okay, so that's what you're going to say. What are they going to say, though? So I, I, you're, you're all answering what you would rightly say. That's so true. I'm honestly, think from their perspective. Ken? Some people just say, I know. Some people just say, I know. I know. They may say that. They may say, I, just, I know what's right and wrong. And if they, if they say that, 
You go, yes! Yeah, because that, that's what you're going to try to get them to. Yeah, Daniel? <laughs> Yes, so this is it. It's Daniel's on the right clue, okay? So the general answer of an atheist regarding morality is social convenience. So they, they, they look at morality in terms of what works. It's a pragmatic ethic, you know, a utilitarian concept. What does the greatest good, the greatest number? And so our morality is governed by that regard. So to, to, to steal from somebody else is harmful to them, and therefore we will not steal. To kill someone is, is harmful in some way, so we will not kill. Okay, do you want to add something, John? I was just going to say that in another context, because humans, we, as societies, we have made rules, and, and we see which rules apparently work the best. Yeah, so, so an atheist with no thought of God will look at the rules in society, and they'll begin to reason those rules in terms of these things that have worked in society through history. And that's their rationality for their morality. Okay, so what are you going to do with that? Because that's true. Folks, that's true. What they're thinking right now is true. Their moral standards are indeed right and good for society. So are you just in a fix? I say there's a God, hence morality. You say there's no God, but there's still morality because we've seen over the, over the centuries that these things work. So how do, you, how do you get through this? What's your answer, Dan? Okay, so you're, you're on the right lines, okay? So you begin to unpick, all right? So if you're thinking in terms of apologetics, you answer a fool according to his folly. So you want to analyze what their thinking is, um, begin, you know, like a, like a thread in the sweater, you want to pull that thread little by little, and then the whole thing hopefully will unravel eventually. Okay, so you've got to get that thread. So what's the thread? Well, one of the ways you can use, and you know, God, God does all things well, and we are living in difficult times, but also easy times. In terms of defending the truth, these are times that are easier than have been in previous generations. You're living in a, in a life, in a, in a society of upstanding morality. It is more difficult to prove the exclusive nature of Christ and the need for saving faith. But you deal with people in the street today, and you say, well, we believe in an absolute standard of morality, and that standard comes from God, and they say, well, we, we believe it comes from social convenience. Well, you have, you have two threads to pull at. One is the threat, of course, of abortion. Why has that changed over the centuries? And how is abortion for the good of all mankind? Okay, now, I know they'll argue that there are things that are, that, well, these, it's good for this woman, it's good for society, and this way, they will argue about it, but that argument becomes very inconsistent. The other one, of course, is the issue of marriage and sexuality. And, you know, we have, we have a, a wonderful gift from God that, that even... Some of the most ardent atheists are still profoundly confused by transgenderism. They, they, they understand this doesn't make sense. When they're talking to their wives over dinner, they may publicly say, oh, freedom to all. But when they're talking to their wife at dinner, they say, you know, it's still a man, it's still a woman. 
And there's, an un, there's a, just a recognition that, well, this is a problem. And so what you have as, as, as a gift in terms of the church is you say to people, well, if morality is governed by the will of the majority, then that morality is changeable. And so you've got a, a mutable morality is a term you might use. You've got a, change, uh, you've got a morality that changes with the scenes of time. And so how can that be consistently said? If it's good for society now, why was it not good 100 years ago? And so you begin to unpick their morality. And of course, we as God's people, we understand that all true morality comes from God. We, we understand that we've been looking at that conscience. The law of God is written in the hearts by God. And so we, we do come back. And here you just, you just put your hand up and say, yeah, the Bible shows us that all true morality comes from God. But again, you think, well, you're just arguing in a circle. You believe in God, so therefore God brings the law. It's a circle. But what do you do? Well, you begin to point out to them the consistency between history and God's word when it comes to morality. There's this strange consistency. Oh, yes, there are some, there are some inconsistencies in terms of human history. But by and large, what mankind has thought to be good is what God thinks to be good. By and large. There's that general overlap between the will of the majority in society and the will of God. And again, so you're in an argument with somebody regarding the, the, the nature of, of marriage and the uprightness of God and the matter of private property, and you're in this discussion with them. Well, what you do is you reach out, you grab their car keys, and you take a run for it. See how far you get. You see what I'm getting at? You know, we, we all agree there's an issue of morality here. Well, if there's no morality, I'll have your car, thank you very much. And off you go, driving into the sunset. Okay, you get the point. Morality matters, but ultimately there is some definable objective morality, and that's not a thing, it's a person, and it's the God of the Bible. The foundation of all absolute objective morality. So that's the issue of morality there, and I trust that's helpful. Of course, we also understand, again, as evangelicals, that true morality is not just about doing things, it's about doing the right things with the right heart. And that comes from the fear of God. So if there is no God, there is no fear of God, but we understand the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, so true wisdom, true morality comes from the fear of God worked in our hearts by the Spirit of God. So again, all of these things come together to say, where there is no God, there is an ultimate absence of true biblical morality. Any comments or questions? Again, we're just working through some concepts there. Any questions? Get that. Yeah, they do. It's right in their own eyes. And you know yet, you know, know the strange thing is? CNN carried that story. Did you stop and think about that? It's a real story. Because the most ungodly people understand something's broken here. <laughs> they, they, they get it. If this is why would they carry that story? It's an issue.
to suffer myself to people like Hitler and Stalin and these guys because for what reason would I? I would just become like them then. Yeah. And they have no answer. Yeah, and you, 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 you argue again that if there is no higher authority than government, then their laws aren't, aren't binding on anybody. You know, so you, you get chaos. Sometimes there's chaos for the, you know, the, the outworking of Psalm 53 is, is chaos. And we, we see that. We see that in societies of, again, given up on God altogether. So, Daniel, yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's very true. And so Daniel's right, he's saying not all atheism want the good of society. You know, one of the interesting things is when you, when you see a, a, a philosophical atheism, uh, the outworking of philosophical atheism is nihilism. Nothing matters. There's no ultimate necessity or meaning to life, and therefore it doesn't matter what you do. And so you get Nietzsche, and you get into to Stalinism, and into Hitlerism, you get all those things as the ultimate outworking of, of atheism. Now, the atheist, the, the, the Western atheist gets you know, upset by that discussion. Of course they do, but it is ultimately true. You, you, you just rob society of any, of any existential meaning in this world. So, yeah, important things to think about. Okay, beyond our class, but good to, good to think of those things. And again, one of the things just to mention before we move on is that when you're discussing these, the necessity for a spiritually humble spirit is key. You're, you're, you're debating someone who is a fool in their hearts, but there's someone without the knowledge of God, and there's someone going to a lost eternity. And it's not the time for, you know, bombastic pride. Well, yeah, you may get a public atheist who's, who's trying to, again, to deceive the global nation. Well, you're, you're going to treat them like the prophets of Beale. But the person you're meeting in, in the gym or in the restaurant or somewhere, you know, have a kind and gentle spirit towards them and seek to point them towards the loveliness of Christ Jesus who makes all things clear. His light reveals all light. Okay, just keep that in mind. That's morality. What about spirituality? Then we see that verse, verse number two. And to see if there are any that they understand, okay, we're using understanding here in terms, because the parallel then is verse number two, and the last part, that did seek God. So somebody mentioned the idea of knowledge here. Well, the knowledge here, I believe, is more than intellectual awareness of God. Uh, the fullest said in the heart, there is no God, but there's not this understanding of the nature of God in true spiritual understanding. They lack that, and they do not seek God. And then verse number five, they have not called upon God. This absence of spirituality. Now, there are, there are several, if you like, stages for this. And again, we, we see this in, in, in truth and in practice. There is, they have no sense of their need. Because it says here in verse number two, that did seek God. Well, you, you seek God out of a perception of your need. 
For some reason, you know, you're in need of God's mercy, you're in need of forgiveness, you're in need of cleansing, whatever it may be, you seek God for that. So there's an absence of a sense of their need, and then there's, there's no seeking itself. And using that term and saying, well, how do we understand God? And beyond, it's not just a matter of searching for God, it's a matter of, of finding God in his grace. They don't seek after God in that sense. And then the third issue of this is there is then no supplication. There's an absence of prayer in their lives. It's often been, the term has been used, the, the atheist or the soldier in World War II suddenly find themselves having belief in God when they put their head uh, over the trench. You know, the, 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 the deep-dyed, ungodly atheist understands that when they're faced with the issues of life and death, well, there is a God. And yeah, they with bravado can say later, oh, I'm just hedging my bets, just in case. But you know, deep down in their consciousness, they know that when they prayed that prayer, Lord of mercy and save my life, they understood in their heart that there is such a thing as God. And the absence of that is again seen in the absence of this spirituality. And so you get a, an absence of true worship. And uh, Proponents of idols, idols and idolatry in the land. And so we see that today, don't we? As the atheism, practically atheism binds, so we see fewer and fewer people seeking to worship God in truth. And we see more and more people heading towards idolatry and all of its practices. So there is the issue again of, of spirituality. Any comments on that? That's pretty self-explanatory, that one. Any comments on that? We see it, obviously, if there's no God, and there is no need for, for true worship. It's a very general question, Dan. Yeah. So you, you get the, the unbeliever becomes hardened in their hearts, and that hardening is progressive. So you may get someone at a point in their life where they are, they are open to consider the things of the gospel, and then eventually they get harder and harder, and they get to the point, no, I'm not talking to you anymore. And I think we've all people in our family who are in that situation that, that even on their deathbed, I know situations of people in their deathbed who at that point still did not want to hear of God. They had so hardened their hearts. And so all, all you can do in that situation is, is pray. You know, you're looking for God, and yeah, you, if they're not going to listen to anything, you know, you're, you're, what, what do you do? You're going to shout at them as they walk down the street away from you? You know, it's, you need to open their hearts in that situation. Yeah, very difficult. There's always, even the hardest of hearts, though, there's generally some little chink that if you can find where their gap is, you can break into that gap, but it's, it's not easy. All right, let's move on then to the third thing, to enmity, this issue of enmity. That's here in two areas, okay? I'm going to show you this, and again, these are pretty self-explanatory. Enmity to the truth. So what is the truth? There is a God. And that God is the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in their hearts, they say, there is no God. 
And that's a proof, again, of an enmity towards truth itself. And, of course, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, initially, it may be internal thinking, but over time, that enmity comes out, and they begin, even as Dan, you're describing, they begin to hate the truth itself. And they express that. So, it's enmity to truth. And there's also enmity to God's people. This is one of the outcomes of practical atheism. You have it there. We, uh, we mentioned the verse, verse number four. Have the workers of iniquity no knowledge? The answer is yes, they do. How do we prove their lack of knowledge? Who eat up my people as they eat bread. There's this opposition to the people of God. And again, verse number five, they encamp against thee. Okay, so the whole context of the psalm is explaining the fact that God's people are under the oppressive thumb of those who do not love the Lord. And God is coming to his people in this psalm. Again, this is something that will be sung. And they're singing this psalm, and they're, they're encouraging and teaching and admonishing one another in this psalm as they feel the oppression of the ungodly. God is saying, here's the core. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Therefore, do not be surprised when they turn around and they hate those who name the name of God. There is this outcome of enmity, again, towards the Lord's people. And as we close again this section, our time is really gone today. I want to draw this one more line of thought from this. If these are the biblical defined concepts of practical atheism, and when we see these in individuals and in society, what happens when we see these within ourselves? What happens when we realize that there's an area of our lives that is abominable iniquity? What happens when we realize that, again, we are those who are not calling upon God, who are not seeking God, what happens when we find ourselves prickling against God's truth? Maybe not the fact that God is, but again, God's truth is all that God has revealed. And we find ourselves arguing against God about his truth. What do we do in that situation? Well, we should recognize, and this is a rebuke to our souls, that within our hearts, due to remaining sin, there are still the seeds of atheism within our own souls. What is remaining sin? Well, if sin is atheism, remaining sin is the remnants of an atheistic mindset in our lives. And it is possible for the child of God, for a season, to walk in the pathway of atheism. Not intellectually necessarily, not confessionally, but in practical terms, they can walk like the atheists in this world. And so as we judge, rightly judge the ungodly world around us, let us not spare to judge our own hearts and recognize that at times when we look at someone who's an atheist, we are looking ourselves in the murder. That as we say to that person, have you sought God today? And they say, no, you can say to them, well, either have I. With shame in your heart. With shame in my heart. And so as you point out their sexual immorality, and they say to you about all of their sinful excesses, so you may see, oh, I'm the very same in my heart. And I'm prone to the very same things in my own soul. And what's the solution? 
You return to Christ, you get to the cross, you confess your sins, you seek the Lord, you call upon God to forgive you of your sins, and you remember that you're not an atheist, and that by God's grace you want to live and walk in the fear of God. That's what we're seeing on Wednesday nights. There's this living in this world in a conscious awareness that God is, and that true saving religion is practiced in the fear of God. So please, when you judge the atheist, make sure you also examine your own heart and that God will forgive us from our own tendencies toward atheism in these, in these days. Amen. We'll end it there. Any, any final comments or questions? Yeah, Paul. Yeah. Yeah, amen. So that's, again, there's that that crescendo in the, in the psalm and the praise, uh, the hope that God can deliver us from our, from our sins. Yeah. Amen, Paul. Thank you. Amen. No, that's right. No, this, that's so true. And we, we turn away from God. and you know, the, the core of our sin is no different from the sin of the unbeliever. You know, there's not such a category of special Christian sins. Sin is breaking God's law no matter who does it. And the same core issues are always at, at, at stake in those things. But praise God for the victory we have in Christ Jesus. That we're no, no, not in bondage. These things are not true of us absolutely. They are true of us in remaining sin, but not absolutely. We've been set free from the power of sin. Now let's pray, let's seek God's face. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together to consider, again, this important matter regarding our society, the world in which we live, and also in understanding of who thou art. Help us, O Lord, to see, again, the remnants of sin in our hearts, and help us, O God, to put sin to death, that we, by the Spirit, would put to death the deeds of the body, and that we'd live live in the enjoyment of eternal life in Christ Jesus. Thank you for the power of the gospel, the gospel that forgives us from our sins and gives us freedom to live and to serve thee in this world. Help us today. May our worship indeed be pleasing in thy sight. And may Christ have all the glory in whose name we pray. Amen.